tonight to our feet. We're going to go right into a word of prayer. We want to remember Sister Helen Billisberger uh, today. Uh, she um, came home for a little while and then she had to call from the rehab center and, and needed to go back um, to because she wasn't doing well. And I called her today and she said, I just want to go home. She said, I heard everywhere. And so I prayed with her and I told her we would pray for her tonight. So can the church agree together? The Lord Jesus will be with our sister Helen Burlisberger. I'll hold this as we pray. If you have a need tonight, when you lift up your hand to the Lord, the Lord Jesus is in this service right now. Hallelujah. And I just believe he's going to do something tonight for those that believe. Let's just put everything aside behind us and forget about everything. Let's bow our heads and lift up your hearts to the Lord. Our dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Jesus. We believe that you are everything to us. Any need that's lacking or desiring, it is in you, Jesus. We want to praise your holy name. We want to speak your name out of our lips. The name of Jesus. Every demon has to flee. Every sickness has to leave. Every sin and unbelief has been vanquished. At the name of Jesus. Hell has to lose its grip over sons and daughters. One day bodies of men and women that have been in the grave are going to be loose. At the name of Jesus. But Father, until then we're in these bodies and there's needs all over the building. Unspoken request. There was a very serious one texted me before the meeting. I pray for them right now. Be the judge, jury, and attorney for their case. In the name of Jesus, may you show yourself. For our sister Helen Billisberger, we speak her name, Lord. She's over 80 years old, but she's a daughter of yours. May she not suffer anymore, but may the same presence that came into our little study today and as we prayed with her and she gave testimony, came into that little room where she was. She said, Brother John, if it was all for this, I appreciate that. You are her healer, Lord Jesus. Restore her and whatever's causing this pain to leave her body. Bring her comfort tonight. Our dear Heavenly Father, restore sound minds. During this service, may the Holy Ghost move through this meeting. Just feeling the pulsation of your spirit, God, wanting to do your business tonight. We want to serve Satan notice. Give him notice. He's defeated. He has no right to us tonight. We're in the house of prayer. House of deliverance. House of salvation. House where the Holy Ghost can come and minister to hearts. Lord, we live in a very desperate time. It is springtime. Time of the resurrection. Maybe this is the year for the resurrection. Then that's why we're here is to make our hearts right, Lord, and get ready. Bless every worshiper tonight. Meet every need. Jesus, speak between the lines, Lord. Things that are delicate and hard to say. Bring our flesh under your control. May the Lord Jesus speak tonight the words that you would want to say. Stop my mouth from saying anything that would be out of your will. Bless your people and sheep, Lord Jesus. 
Many aren't with us tonight and they're with their families. We're thankful for them, Lord Jesus. And we bless them as they're away. And here we are in your presence together. Come tonight, Lord Jesus, and minister your word. We don't mean to have long prayers or long services or long singings. We just want you, Jesus. If somebody could just touch the hem of your garment, it would mean so much tonight. If tonight is the night for someone that you have circled on your calendar, don't let any of us hinder. We lay it down right now and repent of our sins and our unbelief, God. Come, Lord Jesus, and open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. We'll turn there together and welcome everyone to the service. Matthew 24. Thank you to the musicians and Brother Derek and all of you that are come out tonight. God bless you. I did want to share a quote with you before we read the scripture. And I'll put it on the screen. Uh, Brother Joseph's going to help us. Let, let this be our prayer as Brother Branham prayed in, in Wisconsin on a Saturday night. And now, dear Jesus, as we go into the service to pray for the sick, may every person now with these words in their heart, may the Holy Ghost come. May Jesus walk into this building just now. Wouldn't that be wonderful? May the great pillar of fire that led the children of Israel sway over this pulpit tonight. Come down, prove the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that people will be without an excuse then. Heal the sick tonight, Father. Make the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, the cripples to walk. Well, that's asking a lot, isn't it? Cure the heart trouble. Cancer, all different kinds of troubles. God, I pray that you'll mend up the broken homes and make the ones that's in homes that's indifferent. Fathers and mothers who doesn't pray, give them an experience tonight that they'll start a family altar at their home. Grant it, Lord. Bless every church in the city. Oh God, let every minister, this was on a Saturday night, Let every minister be so inspired tomorrow that he will preach like never before. And may an old-fashioned revival sweep out through this city, Lord. And just may people come from everywhere to Shawanoa here, that they might know that Jesus lives and reigns. Grant it, Father. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. May the same Jesus come by Cloverdale Bible Way tonight. If he would answer that prayer, he'll answer your prayer. And we do want to welcome you to the springtime. My wife took this photo today. And I, I believe that um, we're in a, living in another time of spring. Amen. Matthew 24, verse 32. As we look at these words of Jesus and a scripture Brother Branham spoke on in the seventh seal. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. Or it's very close when you see these things. 
So likewise ye, when you see, shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day, an hour, it's talking about when Jesus would return. Of that day, an hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And I believe if the Father is coming back for a bride, then she's going to be getting ready. She's going to have something in her heart to get ready. So tonight we'd like to speak on finding your personal altar. Finding your personal altar. God bless you. You can have your seats. Amen. We spoke on this Sunday night. There will be another spring out of Isaiah. This desert shall bloom again. I'm not speaking on that tonight. I just wanted to remind you of these promises in the Bible. In Isaiah 35, the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. These are God's promises. Amen. This is what's going to happen even in the believer's hearts before the catching away. Tonight we'd like to speak on finding your personal altar. And when we look in the scripture, altars uh, speaks of places of worship. Many times you might think about an altar as being like on a table or a bench. They made it out of slabs or they would stand up. They act, that's why it's called a platform. Is because the platform, you have an altar before the platform and between, and the congregation is looking to the altar. But when you speak about an altar and we're speaking about a personal altar, it, it means a lot in the Old Testament of something that was slaughtered. Something died to go on the altar. Something was killed. It was like a slaughter or a sacrifice. But it also spoke of divine judgment that had taken place. Something had happened to offer up a sacrifice. Now in the New Testament, the word altar is speaking of a slaying or burning of something. Uh, we, we speak about burnt offerings that come on to the altar. The, the court of the priest was surrounding that in the temple at Jerusalem. They had the altar of incense, which stood in the sanctuary in the holy place. It was to be something that was continuous and always there was to be fire on the altar. And, and lastly, speaking of the New Testament, it's speaking of the altar as being the cross. Where Christ suffered. He died on the altar. On the cross. But for you and I to eat at that altar. Or to drink that uh, cup. Or to eat of that bread. Brings it into your life and my life. That's an appropriate response. To eating on Christ. That's the fruits of his death. So as we spoke about Sunday, not always of our lives as believers is just joyful and joyous and just laid back and simple. Many times as it lays on the altar, there's a slaying. There's a something that takes place. Let's go to first Kings chapter 18. 
As we turn into the Bible, I want to share something with you in just a few minutes why we're approaching the service, maybe with a, uh, some intensity and, and a burden. It's something that happened dramatically to me today. I haven't even told my wife about it or no one. I'm just going to share it with you in a few minutes. Let's find our personal altar. In 1 Kings 18, it's a very familiar scripture speaking of Elijah repairing the altar that was broken down. And I can say Satan has achieved globally by his web to destroy the altars of this generation. They're in disarray. They're in disrepair. They have, there's weeds growing up. There's a lack of care. There's a lack of interest. There's a lack of desire. There's a lack of fire. There's a lack of light on the altar. That's why when the rapture happens, Brother Branham said, people go right on in a tribulation thinking they're getting saved. Churches thinking they're getting people to Christ. Bringing them to an altar, having all kinds of uh, meetings, and the, the bride's already gone. Brother Murphy, can you imagine people having church, and the, the blood's already gone? Mercy's already gone. Can you imagine that? First Kings chapter 18, we see in verse 30, now, this is when uh, the, the Baal... The, pre, uh, the priest of Baal had uh, had their uh, altar to their God and tried to bring forth their false God. I, I'm going to deal with two things right here, and that is a public altar and then a personal altar. So let's read about the public altar first. And that is uh, in verse 30 now when Elijah, now it's Elijah's turn, we would say. In First Kings 18 verse 30, and Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Can you imagine the the altar had got broken down? And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Under whom the word of the Lord came. Saying Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar In the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar. As great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put wood in order. And cut the bullock in pieces. And laid them on the wood. And said fill four barrels with water. And poured on the burnt off sacrifice. And on the wood. See God used a prophet to put the church in order. But they still needed the fire. It wasn't complete. You can go so far in your experience with God. But there has to be a consuming. Just putting it in order. Just putting things up on stones. And having a good confession isn't good enough. You can put 12 stones up. You can have revelation of how the altar should be. And describe it. It's still not good enough. So they poured four barrels of water on it. Verse 34. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran around about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the evening of the burnt sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel... 
Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done this, these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord. It's, it takes a prophet to rebuild the altar. Can you say amen tonight? On a Wednesday night, it takes a prophet. Elijah was the prophet. Not a pastor, not an evangelist, not a teacher, not an apostle. It took a prophet to rebuild the altar. But he begins to pray, hear me, O Lord, hear me. That this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. In other words, he was asking for the supernatural. Not just preaching a sermon. He was asking for the supernatural. And tonight, that's where the believer needs to take that extra step. Not just say, I believe the message. Or to say, oh, we got 12 stones in order. Or this is why I am the way I am. It's got to take the next step. Where God comes down and consumes the altar. I'm speaking tonight about your altar and my altar. A personal altar. We've got to have that, friends. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt off, the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. Maybe that's in your heart tonight. Lord, lick up everything in my life. Just lick up the stones, the sacrifice, the water, the everything of my life, Lord Jesus. In springtime, when you see the leaves and you see the buds begin to come out and you know that summer is nigh, that's the time for the coming of the Lord. When you see the word coming to awaken you and bring a resurrection, that's a sign of the coming of the Lord. When you when you hear the prophet putting things in order, expect the fire to come. So this was a public altar that Elijah had made. This would speak about your public life that you have in Christ, your testimony, your service, your calling, your purpose. We want God to be in our public life. But I want to go deeper than that into the next chapter, if you will just turn to 1 Kings 19. Into the, the personal private life of the individual. He had built the public altar. Can we say he preached the opening of the seven seals. He spoke on the token and desperation. And the messages to follow the opening of the word in the great commission. But there has to be a people that takes that personal. And begins to bring it down into their own places of worship. Into their own platform. What they bow down to, what they kneel down to in their time and their energy and their focus of their life. I pray that each one of you find that before the Lord comes back again. I pray that we're here making ourselves ready and maturing now under a message that's been open now for over these many, many years. That that would bring a revival now deep down inside of the individual's. Not just the global revival or the church altar. I'm not speaking about this altar up here. I'm trying to hone in down on your life as a person. And a personal altar. 
where something has to die. Something has to rot. You can't just have it alive and kick it around. God won't consume that kind of a person. We're three weeks since camp. We're almost four weeks since camp. And there was testimony and there was people expressing how God dealt in their lives. But a real revival and a real move of God brings personal change. And if you've gone weeks in your experience and you're right back to the same and you're even worse than that, that shows that something's wrong somewhere. Hallelujah. And we want to see that personal altar restored back again for you. Now this is the same Elijah in 1 Kings 19 that you know very well this chapter. You've read it many times maybe. and But verse 9 comes when Elijah goes into a cave and lodged there. This is now a public thing turned into a private thing. It's not a big show and where there's musicians and people. He's all alone in a cave. And behold the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, what doest thou here Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it. I want to show you what the prophet was saying that he was seeing in the message. People had thrown down the altars. The things that should have been the places of worship or holy or surrendered, or dedicated to God, had been broken down. And he was seen through the eyes of a prophet and got very discouraged. He got disappointed. That amongst the message people, we would say, that the altar had become so minimalized. In verse 11, he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold... The Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Hallelujah. And it was so when Elijah heard it, he heard the still small voice. Remember, he's all alone. It's not the wife or the husband or the children now. I'm not speaking in this verse about a family altar. I'm speaking about you hearing the word connected with God. And all of a sudden, there's certain experiences you've had, but you're waiting for the main thing. And he hears the still small voice. And he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in in the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. You look in verse 14 and verse 10 are almost very similar, almost exact scriptures. He's just expressing his heart. Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, throwing down thine altars. And slaying thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it. And that, that gets to be how a person will go through seasons now. Do I have your attention? 
seasons of their life of great revival, God coming down, the priest of Baal running, and Elijah just on the mountaintop, now he's all alone in the cave, and God was wanting to give him now a private, a private altar. It's not where the crowd is there and everything's happy. Say that's so dynamic, but he was wanting to give him a personal altar. But God also wanted to open his eyes because his attitude was wrong. He's, I'm, I'm the only one that has this burden. Now I'm coming now into Cloverdale Bible way into this service. You might think you're the only one that feels that way. You might think you're the only one that sees it like that and, and you're the only one that's maybe holy or right and, and you're trying to, uh, and you just see it that way and God was wanting to just tweak the prophet's attitude. Verse 18. God continuing to speak. This is our last verse here. Yet I have left me 7,000. Let's all say 7,000. Not one, not five, not ten, not three, not us four, no more. Seven thousand. Elijah, look at the big picture. Stop looking at the little flower you're so focused on. Look at the big mountain. Look at the body. There's seven thousand in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which have not kissed him. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus? Out of despair and out of a lack of seeing it correctly, God was giving grace and mercy to a disappointed believer that thought that, you know, I'm just going down with everybody, I guess. They're going to kill me now. But God was wanting to show him, I've given the same burden to others in the body. There's others that are sensing the same thing. We need a personal altar. So now we could go and take our time through the Bible. I'm just going to share something with you in a moment. But you could go back through the Bible. Noah built an altar. Abel built an altar. Jacob built an altar. The Bible says Moses built an altar. Do you remember Abraham and Isaac on the mountain? Do you remember that? It was around the altar. If you look in the scripture, Aaron and the priest, which is a type of the ministry... Was to work around the altar. That was to be their ministry. It's still the ministry. Keep the altar clean. Keep it available. Keep the congregation's eyes looking at the altar. The Bible speaks about the altar of incense. The burnt offering was on the altar. It speaks about the brazen altar. The altar of brass and the altar of gold. The Bible speaks about there being blood on the altar. It speaks about fire on the altar. It wasn't on the ground. It was on the altar. In other words, lift it up. Make it prominent. Put it on the platform. The Bible speaks about the ministry was to keep the charge of the sanctuary... And it also says the charge of the altar. In other words, there is a charge that goes along with the altar. And in the Old Testament, the altar is associated in Joshua with the new land. As soon as they came from the world and, and through the wilderness and came up into the Holy Ghost, immediately they had an altar. 
There was an altar there. So it's associated with the new birth. And with receiving the Holy Ghost. Is the altar. Now remember tonight I'm focusing on you as a believer and having a personal altar. And so the the gods of Baal, the false gods also had their altars. And we've seen it today. The gods of fashion and business. Has swallowed up the world. And made it an altar. It consumes people's time, their energy, their focus. To where they have so little to give to God. So little to put on the altar. So much time is spent on getting the dollar and going after this and being popular. God help us tonight. I want to say as it says in Joel that the ministers was to weep before the people because of the failure at the altar. There was a place in the Bible they called the horns of the altar. And it speaks of repentance. And it speaks of the individual would have a place to run to when you got into trouble. When you got into a place you needed refuge. And the only thing that could plead your case was the blood. Was Christ. And they had horns they put on the altar. That a person could run into and grab a hold of those horns. And say God give me mercy. God give me grace. Let me tell you what, friends, if you ever lose that in your life, you've lost Christ. If you lose that where you can't say, I am wrong, or God forgive me, you've left the altar. I pray there would be a restoration of the personal altar. Grab a hold of the horns of the altar. Ask God for mercy. Even tonight, may God give you mercy. May God give every person here grace. Are we all together tonight? David spoke about the altar and Solomon, you know, about the temple. Hezekiah, the Bible said, repaired the altar in 2 Chronicles. Isaiah prophesied about the altar. I've mentioned Joel and Joel 1 and 2, how there was to be a crying out. At the altar. Not silence. Not just hearing the word and going out with a dried eyed confession. God will not accept a dried eyed confession. Someone that just says, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, and you won't give it all on the altar. You'll find a week goes by, two weeks, the weeks go by, and you'll go from bad to worse. Because you didn't go all the way. And in Joel 1.13 and Joel 2.17. It was the ministry that was to cry out. Make a way for our people. Make a way for the word. Lord come to that sacred place. And bring fire for our young people. Bring fire for our mothers. Bring fire for our our fathers. Bring, Lord, a personal altar into our marriages, Lord. Restore and repair the altar of marriages in in our church, God. Let the family altar be restored. Let the church altar be restored. Amos spoke about it. 
Zechariah spoke about it. Malachi spoke about it. Paul in the New Testament and Hebrew said, we have an altar. We have an altar. That is Christ. Can we say amen tonight? And in the book of Revelations, it talks about in the fifth seal, souls under the altar. So there was still an altar. From Genesis, it speaks about an altar. That was Noah making an altar. All the way to the book of Revelation, there's the altar. The last time it's mentioned, it, it mentions voices coming out of the altar. So the altar is real. The altar is not just a place that you visit and then leave. Or it's not a location uh, uh, in Surrey that we drive to. Or you say, well, we're having an altar service. Or we're having special meetings. There might be an altar service. It's much deeper than that. It's a personal altar. It doesn't have to happen just in a church building. It doesn't have to happen just on your knees somewhere. It can happen in a bedroom. It can happen at work. It can happen in your office. But it can happen in church. Hallelujah. And I believe we should open the door for it to happen in church. So when we speak about personal altars, we're speaking of our prayer lives. Finding a personal altar. Prayer. And I wasn't going to get into the one, two, three, four and put it on the screen. So I I wasn't going to do that tonight. Prayer is part of an altar. It's our atomic weapon and nuclear weapon we have against the enemy. And that's what Satan has taken away of a lot of people. The word is part of a personal altar. I'm speaking about you finding your personal altar, not where it's the prophet or the preacher or a mother or father or the deacon or Sunday school teacher or the counselor. It's you getting serious, getting desperate and saying, the word is my way out of this. That is my release point. Help me here tonight. Uh, On Sunday night, I showed you a bunch of photos of before and after people that were arrested, men and women. And it showed their faces when they were arrested. And then some just a few months and years later of drugs. What happened to their lives? Would you agree? They had an altar and they bowed to it. They, they, they inject it. They'll, they'll sniff it. They'll do whatever to get it in their system. They're worshiping the demon and it'll take over their whole being. Their mind is destroyed. Their bodies are destroyed. Their skin is destroyed. Their families are destroyed. Satan comes to their altar and smashes it. I say, God, help us and restore the word back to individuals. When we speak about a personal altar, we're speaking about a personal surrender. It's a military term where you realize the odds are against you and you give up. You realize you're no good in yourself and you have no good in the presence of God and you just surrender. You just say, God, 
take that out of my life or take this thing. How many believe we could do that more in the house of God? And dedication is part of a personal altar. Surrounding your life with the right atmosphere. That's not someone else's responsibility. That's yours. Well, you can create an atmosphere. And if it's not right around you, then you can cry out for it. I believe tonight the Holy Spirit could break off the wrong atmospheres. Wrong spirits that would be hanging on one of our young men or young ladies or someone in the balcony or in the nursery or down here below or out in the foyer. Just some spirit getting on a child and they start crying and and people have to think they're taking them out. No, we need to come into the presence of God. We need to train our children that this is a personal altar. I know this is a public meeting, but the, the third pool is not a public show. It's not for everybody. It's for you. It's not for the crowd. It's for you. God's giving you eternal life. He's giving you healing. He's giving you faith. He's giving you power. I believe the house of God and coming to church is more than a duty. It's a privilege to be able to come in here on a midweek or on a Sunday or whenever the believers gather in the house of God and hear the words that we hear. It washes us. It cleanses us. This is some of our family that went on, some of our believers that went on a spring break. I'm giving you a little tour of some of their personal photos. I'm not going to say who it was. But the body of Christ ought to be something that is part of our personal altars. Do you agree with that? Living in his presence, walking in a love affair daily. When we look at this word altar from Genesis to Revelation over 300 times, this word altar was mentioned in the Bible. 2,488 times in the message, Brother Branham said the word altar. Did you get that? 2,488 times Brother Branham used the word altar. So if you want to major on something, he majored on all the way from 1947 through December 12th, his last recorded words, communion, he uses altar. The last message of Brother Branham in, in leadership of December the 7th, right before the Lord took him off the scene, Brother Branham had an altar call. This word prophet, this example for us, this man of God, this vessel that God knew, this is your last opportunity to declare to the world. He gave an altar call. He wasn't avoiding it. He wasn't saying the church don't need it. He was welcoming the world. To follow leadership. My, my, my. I look back to Brother Branham's last message in Jeffersonville. And that was Satan's Eden. It was in August 
1965. And if you could hear Brother Branham, this is his last message at the Branham Tabernacle. God knew that was going to be his last words. And as he's closing the service, he's talking about the people coming to Christ. And he says, will you pray for me? And I'll pray for you. He wasn't embarrassed to say that we have a personal altar. And it was just packed out. They didn't have as much room as we do here than, than at the tabernacle. They were packed out. So there wasn't room to have an altar call. But he said, you make the altar right there in your heart. But his last message, Satan's Eden, in the Branham Tabernacle. He, and I won't have time to get into it. I have the quotes in front of me. He's imploring the people. His last words in the tabernacle was talking about repentance. Are we doing okay tonight? Let let me just tell you something traumatic that happened to me today. Just this morning I was, it was mentioned and I heard about the audio recordings of people that were calling from the World Trade Center towers that were struck in 9-11, 2001. And I heard that those were available, the audio recordings of people that were in the towers. People that were in the airplane, that the, the United flight that crashed in Pennsylvania. Some of you are aware of that. And some of the people's last words are recorded as they called the 911 centers and as they called people on their answering machines at home. And it's their last words. And I was shook. I began to weep and cry as I sat at my desk. There there was one man, his name was Kevin Cosgrove, that was on floor 105. And I heard his last words as it's all recorded. And they have the operator speaking to him. And he's telling him his phone number and where he's at. And I'm here with three other people. We're in this certain office, floor 105. And and one of his last words were, we're young men. We're not ready to die. I need oxygen. This is as the smoke is coming up and as the, the, the floors are becoming heated. Some of his last words were, we're not ready to die. And they had just put it right with his phone call and what was happening in the towers. And as it just collapsed right down, the phone goes dead. Another one was, her name was Melissa in floor 83 in the World Trade Center. And she's speaking to the 911 operator. Said, there's five people with me in this office. I'm on the 83rd floor. I'm having trouble breathing. I'm going to die, ain't I? She's talking to the operator. And the operator saying, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. She finally said, the operator said, ma'am, ma'am. Ma'am, say your prayers. Because this is what's happening. And, and as I read this today, more than 3,000 calls came in the first 10 minutes. So the 911 operator systems were just so bogged down, they couldn't take all the calls. And, and I was just hearing some of Melissa's last words. I'm going to die, ain't I? Screaming, help, help. I hear voices. Can you stay on the line with me? I think I'm dying. She was grabbing a hold of just a human's voice. Stay with me. Can you stay on the line? And it just goes dead. 
There was another one that played the air traffic controllers of the airports and they're calling in what is happening. And as the first plane goes in, am I boring you? And the first plane went in and now the second one is coming around and the air traffic controllers are talking. What is going on? What is going on? There's another plane that's in Pennsylvania. Then I heard the last words and the voices of the lead terrorist on the airplane screaming out to the passengers. The last words of men that had been duped by their false god. To say that if you take part of these acts, the immediately when you die and are in that other place, you'll have so many virgins. It's nothing but a lie. They have built a false altar and a false God that has no peace. And they found out very quickly as they're in the regions of the lost. As they're guilty of murder, murder, murder. That's not the plan of God. And I heard another one on flight 93. The people on the plane screaming, screaming their last seconds before it went down. I thought, God, help us if we knew that people around us, that it was their last seconds, their last minutes. This is my last conversation with someone that's alive. One of the voices that left an answering machine message to their family, said, I want you to know that I love you, and I'm stuck in this building. And I I, I listened to many messages from people where I just had to finally turn it off. This is September 11th. People were trying to make contact with their loved ones. They were leaving messages. I heard so many final words. To their loved ones. I I listened to one young lady speaking to her father. And the father was. uh, He he hardly ever answered the phone that early in the morning. As he was a contractor he said. So he just let it go to the answering machine. So many people. He was retired. They would want him to do work for him. Do work for them and stuff. So he just let it go to voice message machine most of the time. But this morning he picked up the phone. And it was his daughter. Her name was Melissa Hughes. She was in 4101 on the World Trade Center. And she's speaking to her father, screaming out, just calm down, tell me what's going on. And she's describing it. Dad, I think that a bomb has struck the World Trade Center. And there's smoke everywhere. And can't hardly breathe. And he turns on the television and he sees exactly what is happening. The images of smoke coming out and Planes that have crashed in. And he never tells his daughter what has happened. But he just begins to speak to her about going to the nearest stairway. And go to the nearest stairway. Do you see an exit sign? That was his last words to his daughter. And I heard parents of the deceased. Fathers and mothers speaking of their last words. That they heard of their children on their answering machines. Their last words in life. And I thought, God help us as believers. That we're living in a dying world. We're living in a generation that's dying, dying, dying. And you say, Brother John, you're just speaking emotion. That's not emotion. That's reality. And I don't know where these men went. Many of their pictures were there and had beautiful uh, ladies and women that were giving their words as they talked to the operators 
and it showed their picture on the screen and it showed the floors that they were at as the smoke was going up and it showed which floor they were on. Little did they know because that was from the inside of the building. Many people were viewing it from the outside. But this is an inside voice, audio of what was really going on. And it gripped my heart. I just fell on my knees in my little study and began to weep before the Lord. I thought, God help us. God help me. It wasn't just everybody else. You get to a place where it's a personal altar. It's you that stands before God. It's you that begins to realize life is serious. Life isn't just all fun and games. There's people with serious needs, even in our church. Some have not come recently because they have terminal conditions that strike their bodies. And they're too weak. They might be streaming the service tonight. I pray that God would come by their way. What if you were an operator? What if you were a person and you knew you had two or three minutes? Maybe you know something. Maybe they don't. And the operators, all of them were stay calm, stay calm. Save your oxygen. Don't get upset. Don't stop crying out. Stay calm. Stay calm. Thousands lost their lives. Brother Branham talked about the the, the, the lady that had that uh, minister. And she wasn't living right. The lady. You remember the story in the hospital. and, And the minister was there smoking a cigarette out in the hallway. Putting it out and going in. And she's just saying, I'm lost. I'm lost. She was slipping over to the other side. She didn't have a personal altar. She thought her church covering was okay. She thought her preacher was okay. She thought surely my preacher would tell me the truth. Surely my preacher would tell me if I'm in danger. We're all okay. We're all okay. You're good people. You believe the message. That's not okay. There's a personal altar. And we need to dust that off and blow it off. And stop just putting it on the ground where you're just walking all over it all the time. And there's no feeling. There's no love. It's just church. It's just codes. It's just mom. It's just dad. I pray God shake some of us. And you say, oh, brother John, you're so dramatic. You're always so like that way. We're not dramatic enough. I wish we could get more out of the way. I wish my gift wasn't so little that it could be bigger for some of you to see Christ. And break through. It's not the hem of my garment or Brother Murphy's garment that I could, I need to touch. It's Christ. And it doesn't matter if you stay in your pew, stay in the balcony, or come forward. But we've got to have a place 
Well, if we would come to that place. I don't know, maybe Brother John's just different than you, but that really shook me today, Brother West. And I begin to realize that I'm called to speak to people. And God knows it could be their last days. Their last prayer. It could be their last service. It could be our last time. Friends, this is March. What is the date today? We're at the end of March. 2019. The very week after the opening of the seven seals that ended on Sunday, March 24th, you'd say, what did all those people do when they left Jeffersonville and drove back to Alabama and North Carolina and all the places they were from? Did they just go back to work? Was it just back to school? Just back to the same old schedule? Did anybody change? Or was it always in their heart? I've got to get to Jeffersonville. I've got to hear the prophet. I pray years later that it would have more of a conviction on us. I pray for every person. Now, if you would have been on a holiday, if you'd have been on, you know, a break, you'd have been on the beach, you'd have been seeing loved ones, and then it, it really wouldn't have mattered to you. You'd have said, that's awful. Look at the TV screen. Look at what's going on. That's horrible. And it took the nation. I remember Brother Darren Hoffman. He, Brother Darren Hoffman is the one that let me know about it on 9-11. I remember specifically being in my little office in Custer School Road on the U.S. side, and I was in prayer, Brother Darren, on my knees. And Brother Darren calls me and says, are you aware what's happening and the border and all of these things? They're shutting down the borders. I don't know. And that was a morning of school, and I worked in the office. And we came across the border. We were one of the last cars they let across the border, and they shut it down. We didn't even know if we'd be able to go home that day. We didn't know if we were going to be able to go home from school, go home from the office. Because of what happened on 9-11. We were able to come home, as you can see. And there was another day. and They did take away the pace lane for the U.S. believers and the Canadians. And for many months and even years, it was more difficult for us to travel. He say, now we got nexus and now it's not that way and now we're free and now years have gone by, brother John, and some of our children and our grandchildren don't even know what you're talking about, the World Trade Center. But daddies and mommies do. Brother Darren, I'll never forget your phone call. These things stick in your heart. These things stick in your mind. But tonight we're being directed to now Your personal altar, which speaks of surrendering and yielding, dying out to yourself. See, in the Old Testament, it was blood, and you had to identify with your lamb as it was blading and kicking, and and the neck was cut, and you might have walked out there with a little bit of blood on your on your skirt or on your. Oh, you said, "Oh my, I gotta get," and it was just it was more of a physical thing. But today it's a spiritual thing. 
Oh, we need blood on the door. We need blood on our hearts. Don't make it an Old Testament phrase, blood on the altar. We need the word on the altar of our hearts. Lord, don't let this message become to a place where it's just stories. And who of our ministers can tell us something we don't know or haven't heard yet? God forbid the day that our children and our grandchildren knows nothing about an altar call. Knows nothing about weeping in the house of God. They don't know what it is to lift up their hands and begin to be moved by the Holy Ghost. God help us as a church. Will we allow that to become the dominating atmosphere? Or if anybody gets emotional, we kind of look odd or weird at them. When just a few years ago, moms and dads, you know exactly that's what happened in your life. There was a crying out to God. There was a groaning. There were men and women that were intoxicated. They were drunk on the spirit. And you're wanting your sons and your daughters just to accept the message. And just receive the message. And you can just have it right there where you're at. You don't even need to move. You don't need to hardly bat an eye. Just close your eyes and maybe raise your hand. Nobody needs to know. And you remove the altar from their experience. You move, you remove the crying out in the spirit. Then you wonder why two weeks later, three weeks later, four weeks later, hearts are hardened. Hearts are non-responsive. Hearts are moved. Now they can learn to hide things and nobody knows. We know how mom and dad and when they go to work and what they're doing. We know the preachers. Everybody's in their own business, in their own life. No one's going to hound you no more. We've gone further than that in the message. So you can just kind of hide in your little shell and not even have a personal altar. You might have a public altar. Everything's good. Everything's fine. Isn't that wonderful? But no personal altar. No real love. No real burden moving in your heart. And I say, God, may every person have a personal experience where the Holy Ghost power can be ignited in their lives. God, forgive us if we've been guilty of explaining away. Oh, you are that way because of this. Oh, really? That's not a Holy Ghost experience. That's not a deliverance of the word. That's not a person that's been set free. It's just a person that's learned how to cope and manage their addiction. You can just take pills now. You can just drink a little bit of this or take a little bit of that. Or you can just kind of take a little sabbatica and social media for 30 minutes and just kind of get away a little bit. It's a disease. When years ago, it was Jesus the believers ran to. 
Sons and daughters of God knew they needed a prayer life. They, they didn't even want to go out of their house lest they had prayed. Now you can go a week, you can go a month, you can go days, and our prayer life has become so casual. I'll just let the song leader get anointed and I just want your brother John to preach us happy tonight. And it can get that way in the message where people just want to be preached happy. And they don't really want to deal with the inner part, the personal things. It makes them nervous. We don't go there. That's what they say. Then if you go there, they want to say, you're the bad guy. You're the bad girl. Why why are you even talking to me like this? Why are you even approaching me on this level? Everybody gets so offended and so they you just pull back. Good people pull back. People that should have the liberty and have the gift of God to help one another. That have a personal life with Christ. Do you know you have the power of the protection of the word in your life to speak mercy on someone? Is this okay for a Wednesday night? I mean, I say, God, help us. If we just allow the meetings in our lives, our family altars, our church altars, our marriage altars to lose conviction. Our relationships become shallow. People become distant. You can live in the same address. You can live in the same uh, actual area and never even know people. I say, God, help us. God, help me. Start with me, Lord Jesus. I just want to say something to help somebody tonight. Everyone that comes to an altar is not backslid. I thought there would be a little burst of hallelujah and amen to that. Everybody that comes to an altar doesn't mean you're backslid. I think that's a false stigma that has kept many from being healed, delivered, and helped. Because people just feel like, oh, if somebody goes up, there must be sin in their lives. There must be something going on wrong. That's the wrong spirit. This altar ought to be open every day, all day, especially during services. There ought to be where believers hold together, pray together. How many believe in that? Let's, let's hear a hearty amen from believers tonight. God put fire back on our altars again. I'm talking about our personal altars. Put fire back there, Lord Jesus. Forgive me for being so loose and light. Letting the word go and letting things go. Say, I just let the standard go. It's time to bring it back again. The church and the altar ought to be a place of prayer. And your own personal altar ought to be a place where you die out to self. You die out to sin. You die out to wrong spirits. Homosexual spirits. That want to jump onto our young men. 
There ought to be power of prayer, power of the Holy Ghost. Be able to drive back those spirits on our young ladies that can get rebellious or stubborn and, and they don't even, it's not them, it's a spirit. There ought to be enough power in our services. When oftentimes we're guilty of putting one another down. We're guilty of bringing up one another's hinder parts. And I say, God, forgive all of us. The altar, the personal altar is a place where a person dies out to their flesh. And where carnality and unbelief can leave a person. Do you remember the horns of the altar? That was a place where a person, they needed help. They needed prayer. They wanted prayer. Now, if they just want to stay back there and stay in their life and it just be the same. And then they go out and then they go home and they try to deal with it and they try to circumvent, they try to overcome and it's just not. And then they come back again and they, and it becomes a lifestyle. That person needs prayer. They want to move out from being just natural and move it into a supernatural. You know, Brother Benham talked about like this. He said, we don't want to just say a prayer. We want to pray a prayer. He said, I can say a prayer, Brother John, a prayer for my food, a prayer for a good service, a prayer for my mom, my dad, help my aunts and my uncles and my cousins. But a real person that has a personal altar, don't just say prayers. They pray prayers. It's like an atomic bomb being dropped from the hangar of a real man and a woman of God that's effectual. And it begins to move mountains. I was so disappointed. Uh, Saturday I tried many, many times to call Sister Helen Billisberger. I was trying to reach her, trying to reach her. And then even today, I tried in the morning, tried, I tried on my cell phone, I tried on my home number, found out that I had the wrong number. And she, they had changed her number, I was so disappointed. Sister Eleanor finally gave me the right number and I called immediately. Sister Helen. Yes. And she had just been returned back in the last few minutes from her home that she wanted to go Two from since November, Brother Murphy. So excuse me, it's been four months or five months. She's been in a hospital, now in a rehab center. And I went to see her Friday and she's in a little walker. She's so embarrassed. She wanted to come here Sunday and she wanted to be here tonight. She said, Brother John, maybe next week. She says, I want to go home. She got pain everywhere and I don't know what, what it is. See, friends... Maybe that's not you tonight. Maybe you're healthy. Maybe you're strong. Maybe you're young. Maybe you're middle-aged or older. And maybe you're strong. But we're a body. And there ought to be an altar and a personal altar. But when we come together, it's no longer just you, me, my, uh, it's us. It's what does God want to do for us. I put in my notes after camp that I don't know if we all realize the power of the protection of the word that's over us. Do we really understand what it means to be under the sound of the message and then to be part of a local church? 
forgive me for taking my liberty. But do we all understand that when you make your part of a local fellowship, you're under the protection of the word. The blood covers you. That's why Brother Branham taught if a person's unruly and, and they won't listen and you speak to them and you take two or three witnesses and go to them. That you're to make it public before the church and put them out from under the blood. Say, my brother John, that's serious. We, we don't hear of that very often. No, we don't. But the reality of that is this. There is a blood. There is a word that keeps calling out for us. Grace, mercy, mercy, grace, come. I see some of you are tired tonight. We should close soon. Mercy, mercy. Maybe if they come one more time, God will do something for them. Brother Branham taught the power of the blood in a local assembly. Forgive me, friends, but if Brother John ever loses my mind, I hope that somebody in this church has enough godly discernment to go out and rescue my spirit and bring it back from that place. Come on, friends. We talk, we talk to one another. What if I lost my mind? Some of you might thought I lost my mind, but... I hope somebody's here spiritual enough to forget about your rotten feelings and your thoughts and your problems and go after Brother John's spirit and bring it back again. Or are you just going to let that sister go? You're just going to let that brother go. You're just going to carry on in your sin. And everything's jolly and happy until you're in a time of crisis. Until you realize Satan smashed your altar. I say, God, come in and crash our worlds. False God, small G-O-D of Baal get into people's lives and they don't even know it. I pray the Holy Ghost come in there and just begin to surgically remove all those things. Lord, take that nature out of my life. Take that thought out of my life. Take that weakness, Lord. I cover it, Lord. Lord, I'm sorry about that. Forgive me for that. We've gone a long time in the journey now. And the hillside of Canaan has become littered now with the tombstones of men and women like Joshua and Caleb and their wives and the elders that outlived them. God's took them to their rewards. We're into the land of the living. We're breathing tonight. As far as what I understand, there's still mercy. Hello. As far as what I, I understand in the message... The door isn't shut yet. And when Brother Branham thought that possibly it could be in souls in prison now. His cry was God forbid. Because I've got sons and I've got daughters. 
And you heard the whole assembly get under that atmosphere and conviction. Can it be? But anymore, it's like people aren't moved no more. It's like they're under a satanic hallucination. Just calm down. Just breathe. Just get through the service. Just get through the week. Just get to Friday night. It's nothing but a lie from the devil. It's nothing but a lie of the enemy. They would try to take somebody's life. I'm speaking spiritually. Not just naturally. You say, we had a funeral service. We put him in the ground. It's all over. But spiritually, people are dying. Spiritually, we hear the, <gasps> what do you see? Tell me what you see. Do you, do you see the firefighters? One of the operators were saying, and, and the one, Melissa was screaming out, I hear voices, I hear voices. She thought it was them coming to rescue her. I hear voices, I hear voices. Within seconds, she collapsed. As we've gone on in the message and the opening of the word has matured the body around the world, it shouldn't lessen our emphasis on the altar. It should only increase the believer's revelation that the third pull produces a personal altar in the person's life. And if it doesn't, something's wrong. If it doesn't produce a greater crying out and a greater burden, you don't need the preacher to announce it. You don't need a special preacher to announce it. The Holy Spirit has already prepared the believers, prepared your hearts. How many believe in that? You say, God can work through the body. He works on both ends. He can talk to men and women. The elected seed, they know where they're at. They know, and God puts a cry. Our opening scripture in Matthew 24 was that, that no one but the Father knows the day or the hour, the coming of the Lord. But if you're married to Him, there's going to be an indication from Him, I'm coming soon. It's time to get ready. It's time to get that off your garment. It's time to get that wrinkle out. Oh, stop messing with me. Why is this blood on me? It's splattered into my personal life. Get away from my private life. What I'm doing on my own time is my time. It's God's time. And God will come right in there and start shaking a person. And if we're not careful... We'll put it over into intellectualism or into emotionalism. And the person climbs right up again. And they look around to their friends and they look around to their mom. How's dad taking this? I wonder if the other preacher believes what he's saying. I wonder if the deacons really are on board with this. Friends, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in control of the church. It's the personal altar that I'm speaking about tonight. Because when a person has truly met Christ, there will be a change. It's not putting God in our box. It's you and I getting in God's box. 
Say, God, come into my life with my, all my habits and my failures and my mistakes. Just come on into my, my, my human existence here. My little world. I, I like these websites. I play these games and I know I shouldn't talk like this, but come on over into my world. And God says, I'm not going to go there. I won't live in that kind of house. I won't go to that altar. Yeah, we can be like Cain and decorate everything and make it sound so nice and look so good. Cain had an altar. They worship too. This is true, Brother Ernie. He knew exactly all the things to do, but he didn't have blood. When it really came down to it, he didn't have a personal revelation. But somebody help me. Is, doesn't that describe those that have left the word and left the message or grow up in the message and just leave and say, no, this is how I felt for years. I never really had that within my heart. When God knows all the time. Say, Brother John, you're trying to push people out. No, we're drawing a big circle. Drawing a big circle saying, come on in. So you're taking blood away from people. No, we're trying to splatter it out there. And could you help me out there, brother? And could you help me, sister, there? Up in the balcony. Is there any pull from the balcony? Is there anybody in the nursery that's got a little baby and you got a little girl or a little boy and they're fussier? They've gone to sleep. But deep down in your heart, you know, these can be tough times for a sister's life. You have one little baby. Then you have two little babies. Then maybe you get three. And then it's difficult financially. Then the young people become teenagers. Then it's not, it's not easy struggles. It's hard struggles. Then it's, sometimes it gets to a place where things start losing out of your hands and out of your grips. It's crawling off the altar and you're, you're wanting to bring it back and bring it back. And I want to bring it back. And, and it just seems to get out of control. God's trying to tell you that it's time for you to come into his box. Stop putting your little box and I believe this and Lord, you've got to come over into our way of seeing it. And in a matter of fact, God, we don't need you no more. Wouldn't that be a shame? You say, I would never say that. I would never. I've never heard somebody say that, but their actions show that. Friends, I believe God is willing to come down and shake that person's world and say, it's time to come over into my box. Come over into my way of seeing things, my attitude. It's like, God, I didn't even realize that's the way you thought about that. I didn't even know that that's the way you felt about that. Maybe our musicians will come now. We've gone way over time tonight. I just looked at the time. But maybe the Lord Jesus is trying to build up somebody's personal altar. He called their number. 
Like so many did as they're rushing out of the front door of the World Trade Center and they're calling their wife, calling their mom and dad, I made it, I made it. And they're running down the street and the, and the soot and everything's falling and the, the firemen are running and then the sirens are screaming and they're running down the street. I made it, I made it. God knows everything. But oh my loving brother, sister, don't you want to be in that place of refuge? That when the last breath or the last moment or when the roll is called, we can say, thank you, Jesus. I'm so happy God gave us a sound mind. I'm so grateful somebody applied the token over me. I'm so glad God came into my world and rescued me and said, come out of that world. Come on over into my world. And the altar's not always a fun place to be. It's not always where you're talking to somebody in words that can be easily understood. It's with a groaning. It's with words that cannot be uttered. It begins to go into another language, but it becomes to a place that you really don't care what anybody thinks. Say, I just need to get alone with God. I just need to have a place that I can let off the pressure and I can know that I know that I know. I pray none of our preachers would be there on that day saying, oh, just give her another high post. Give him another high post. I pray the power of God would be flowing through their hearts saying, it's all well. It's all well. Friends, you don't need to confess everything you've ever done or said to a preacher. We're not Catholics around here. Can the church say amen? I've heard that. Someone said, I just need to go confess everything. And You don't need to do that. God knows everything. But whatever you do, make things right with God. It's not the preacher or the deacon or the trustee or the song leader. It's you and God. It's personal. And I pray for each one of you and your families and for us as a church. That the sacredness of that place would become great again. That the Lord could bring back the new again in our lives. That's what the third pull produces. That's the opening of the word as men and women that are connected to Almighty God. And they're willing to say, Lord, whatever it takes. Not just for themselves, but to reach for another person. Let's bow our heads. That's what revelation does for us. Doesn't make us haughty or puffed up. It causes you to get to a place of humility. Where you're easy to be entreated. You're approachable. You're willing to lower yourself and come down. If God has given you that kind of a revelation. And real victory in your life. There ought to be enough something in that person to help and assist. 
to guide someone else. Say, I just want you to know the Jesus that I met. Not to get cold and indifferent. Friends, I get very nervous around people. And very cautious when people are damning people to hell. And saying they're not saved or they don't have a chance. I'm very cautious. And I think all of us should be more. Because you and I don't know but what their last opportunity was the grace of God. And you might be the person that asks for mercy and asks for grace. Then are you willing to put all the past behind you then? And say, if God's able to put that under the blood, I want to put it under the blood too. I want to be able to look at another person and say, there's nothing between me and you. There's nothing between anyone in this room, in my family, in the message. Or maybe it's someone out of the message that isn't part of the bride. They don't believe in the message or the prophet. But where is the love of Abraham that would say, peradventure, Lord, peradventure? God help us. Even if that spirit's come on you and said, you're not saved. You don't have the Holy Ghost. You don't have a chance. Deny that demon tonight. And say, I do have a desire for God. I do want heaven to be my home. I might not understand all of the message. and Maybe you're not a deep person. God's asking for your altar tonight of your heart. Will you give him your all? Will you sacrifice yourself and die on your altar? It used to be screaming, crying, snotting, boo-hooing. That's what we expected. Someone to cry out to God. Someone to run forward. Or someone just to maybe stand or fall on their knees in their chair. That that's what we wanted. But anymore, it's just, just accept it in your seat back there. Just with every head bowed. And we hear this over and over and over. And the Holy Spirit knows exactly. I pray, Lord Jesus, spare us from that type of a spirit that would hinder the move of God. Bring back the preciousness of a personal altar for our children again. Open the doors for them to receive what you did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 
20 years ago and how I hear your testimonies and God liberated you. It was like the world was new. You shouted, you screamed. And now you want your children and your young people to receive it in their minds or just receive it there. And you know they're not free. They know in their heart they're wrestling with this angel. I pray the Holy Spirit would touch that hollow place within their lives. Not the preacher or the deacon or the mom or dad or the counselor, but oh God. Maybe it's an older person. Maybe it's a wife or a husband. Say, Lord Jesus, I need this altar in my life to be restored. I need it to be repaired. Lord Jesus, we invite you into that sacred place. We invite you into that holiest of holies. I'm leaving the crowds right now. I'm leaving. I'm letting the veil drop behind me. The noise of the crowd, the public altar, where everybody sees and the internet knows and all my friends. I'm going to that personal place where it's me and God alone. How many would say, Lord Jesus, restore unto me that kind of an experience, Lord. And if God needs to take you back to a place where you lost it, or if God needs to bring some to the place that they've never known, and we can make it so flowery and make it so easy for our young people, but they've got to die out to that thing and let it go. There is no free passes to the rapture. alone and personally they've got to wrestle it out and cry out for it God help us not to stop one of them in the outer court and say you're okay you're good you're from the this you're the, from the preacher's family you're from this family we've been in the church for 20 years we believe the brother Branham for 30 years the tokens applied just stop out here I would say if they're running if they're going the horns of the altar is calling out to their heart and they know they need to die stop stopping them on the outside let them go all the way in fact there ought to be older ones waving them in waving them in waving them in brother Branham described it as the church not wanting this type of a birth, this type of people that would be crying out and snotting and speaking in tongues and having a genuine experience. Don't let that that flu bug and that spirit ever float through Cloverdale Bible Way. I pray all of us would be ardent and on alert as watchmen on the tower to say, no, no, Lord, we want that genuine experience for our loved ones. That's what Brother Branham saw in that third pool, in that inner place, in that tent vision when he talked about it. I looked above the people and I saw I just made an altar call 
And hundreds and hundreds of people were weeping and rejoicing after they had accepted the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And a man said, call the prayer line. People begin to line up and they begin to go in a prayer line. And I noticed people going in and going out and a light was there in the meetings. And he said, the light left me and went into the building. And a voice said to me, I'll meet you in there. That'll be the third pool. And I said, why? He said, it won't be a public show. So it's not just a public show for everyone. It's a personal thing. It's private. But what happens in the private will become public. And that's whether it's the sin in a life, whether it's hidden sin, will become public. Or whether it's a real dedicated, consecrated son or daughter of God in their private life, it will become public. You just won't be able to hold it. It'll slip out there. It'll burst out there. God help it. May it burst out there to loved ones, people around us. Heavenly Father, would your Holy Spirit just brood on us even tonight as we close this little meeting. Go out into this Wednesday night, into the springtime. You know all of our hearts, Lord, and you know the deep places as we've bore with one another and with long suffering cherished one another may the blood of Jesus Christ continue to speak to hearts many hours long after we leave these places may it echo deep down within hearts Lord Jesus that lives were healed lives were delivered lives were filled Because they were given an invitation. And they responded to the call. Heavenly Father, would you pour your spirit out on us? Would your spirit just blanket our families and marriages and couples? Single ones. I know even today is a wonderful day. It's the birthday of one of our dear sisters. And the years go by and the months go by and it's this one, it's that one. It's an anniversary. It's another wedding anniversary. It's another birthday. People are walking. People are going to school. People are leaving school. People are graduating. People's going on to further education. They got another job. They got another career. But spiritually, how's the altar doing? How's the personal altar How's the marriage altar? How's the family altar? Lord Jesus, may you have your way in all of our lives. And may every person respond 100% to your dealings. As we stand tonight. Oh, let your spirit fall just like rain. Saturate, saturate my thirsty soul. Fall afresh on me. Heal me, Lord, heal my heart and make me whole.
a young people's meeting last Friday night and one of our elder brothers, Brother Gil Ashdown, was there. He was invited to be there because we had invited the helpers and counselors and workers and I'm glad he was there, Brother Gil. Others were there in their 70s. We have little children, young people. We have moms and dads. Now, tonight, on a Wednesday night, all the kitchen staff can be in the sanctuary. Now, before, we were thinking about going to our cabins, or now many are going to go to school tomorrow. Or, and there's, there's needs we have, but this is right now. Right. We have these moments to share. Wouldn't it be wonderful if in sacred moments like this, someone just gave their heart to the Lord? Someone just needed a place of prayer and we gave it to them and they took it up and they were healed? Who thinks that would be fantastic? I mean, cancers, tumors, back trouble. God just lay his hand on someone's back and just... They go be just being funny, just being drama. Friends, it's got to be more than drama. It's where the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in a body. And we begin to lay hands on one another. We begin to lay hands on the sick and they recover. We begin to say from that moment, I've never been the same. I haven't been the same from that night, from that meeting, from that moment and it doesn't matter whether it's in a church service camp or when you're driving down the road or your your hands are in the dish water or you're changing a dirty diaper or if you're in the middle of a test God might wake you up tonight he simply might wake you up and just want some fellowship just want some love Say, I gotta have my coffee in the morning, Brother John. I gotta, I gotta have this. I gotta, I gotta do this. My, my tank's running low on my gas. I gotta, it's going to east, so I gotta pull over and get gas. And we're so tuned in to natural things. Oh, my, my cell phone is down on one percent. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, my, I need to charge it up. We're so tuned in to Laodicea. And our spiritual batteries can just run out and dwine and it's like we just keep on going. Like robots, just God deliver us from that. It's called a disease. It's called spiritual amnesia. Lord, wake wake us up again. Speak to us, Jesus. Let your word be sacred again to our lives. Let our words drip. With your love so much that people want to be around you instead of getting away as fast as we can. I remember years ago, Wednesday night services going on till nine thirty, ten, ten thirty, eleven, and we didn't care. We had to cross the border too, and we didn't have nexus then. It was years ago. Uh, we didn't care if the lineup was 30 minutes, 45 minutes. We wanted to be in the atmosphere. 
Thank you, Brother Ernie. What I've spoken tonight is all true. It's all true. I'm asking you tonight to ask the Lord, does our children and our young people have the same chances given to them that was given to you? Where we could just be raw, we could be open. The house of God was the main thing. People came early. Not last minute, not rushing in. I know Wednesday nights are tough. Sundays are tough many times, but church used to be the main thing. Getting with the believers was the main thing. Reading the Bible and praying was like the main thing. Now other things have taken that place. God, repair the altar in our lives. Bring back that experience of prayer. And you might call it juvenile, but it's a place where your heart can be moved again. And things of life really matter. Amen. God bless all of you. It's late in the evening time. But I pray, God, that you would answer the call of God in your life. Heavenly Father, we're closing this part of the service. We're closing this part of the meeting where the word has gone forth. Many have had a lot of patience. They've given of their time. And they've driven here. Some are standing in this service without their husbands or without their wives. Some are going through tremendous trials in our assembly right now of loneliness and dark valleys and things they're facing. God, let us be willing to usher one another into that holiest place. Brother Branham spoke about our dear prophet, Lord, the the sin of one of you believers. Believers. Could cause this church to miserably fail. And he talked about someone losing their healing because of the sin in someone's life. God, would you take sin out of our lives? Eradicate unbelief in our lives. That the church would be strong again. That hearts would not die and become, as Paul said, so many are weak and sickly among you. And many sleep because they lack the discernment of the body of Christ. God, spare us that kind of a curse. Don't let us be so easily. Take a pill and run to a doctor when it's Dr. Jesus. And the gospel that we need to swallow down. And repent and go on with God. God could bless that family. God could bless that marriage. God could bless that home. God could bless that atmosphere. That's what we want to see now, Lord, in March as we go into April, if you tarry. As we come into the weekend, Lord. and Then Monday will be April. We don't know how many more days you're going to give us on earth. But this is the Easter season. And your prophet did speak about 30 days or so. There'll be a resurrection. 
And those that have been asleep in the grave will arise and will be walking around and be seen of us. Then when you come in the eastern skies, you want all those eyes looking on you. That's why the resurrection is first. So we can see our loved ones and find out did so and so make it? Did so and so make it? Because he knows how human we are. He wants all our eyes upon Jesus. All our eyes upon Him. And I pray, Lord, that wouldn't just be 30 or 40 days from now, but it would be tonight that all of our eyes would be on Jesus. Our hearts are on Jesus. Take us, Lord God. Take this assembly. And may the fire of the Holy Ghost continue to burn in us. Continue to mature us and grow. And may the new generation see the spark. Have the same desire. May it be strongly felt among us that we have been with Jesus. That even our children would want what we've got. Oh, Father, bless your people tonight. Maybe slip over a hand to that person next to you, that loved one or sister to sister, brother to brother. If you believe the scripture, when it says they shall lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Maybe you could just begin to pray for that person right there, that brother or sister. And pray if there's needs in their lives. If there's unspoken prayer requests. If there's something that could have been read out tonight, but it's not a public thing, it's a private thing. But you'd like to say, Lord, I'm bringing this petition before you right now. God bless you and your prayers. God bless you and your families. God bless your children all up through the balcony. God bless you all the way through the back there. God bless you. Yes, trustees, ministers, deacons. God bless you. Heavenly Father, may things within our lives leave at the sound and the name of Jesus. Oh, Father, there's needs. And even in our own hearts as a minister that we cannot say people that are going through things that we haven't even told our closest family and friends but even within the last week we've become aware of serious situations let us have enough strength in our lives oh father may the holy ghost move within our lives may our prayers be impacted and pregnated with the holy ghost May the effectual, fervent prayer of men and women begin to move mountains. Give us that crying out in the spirit. May the altar never become something that's shunned or avoided, but may it be something we run to. And may the blood be dripping out all over our sermons, throughout our sermons, our songs. It's not the end of the service where we need to run to an altar. It's every single moment you run to Christ, run to the word, receive it, receive it. Hallelujah. You can receive it standing right there. Even if you're all alone and no one's laying their hand on you, may Jesus lay his hand upon you, my dear sister. My dear brother, be healed and be strengthened tonight. God knows all the secret things, friends. We're we're in the house of God. He knows everything. We're living in the days of Elijah. He's restored the altar. Now may you worship him and love him. And may you pray to him and have a relationship with him. May it be exactly the way that it was supposed to be. 
Make the heart of Jesus happy tonight by letting him end the race with you. Exactly what he had in his mind. Say, that's my bride. That's my wife. That's my young people. That's my children. Look at those families. Look at that church down there. I can do whatever I want with them. They're sold out to me. They love my appearing. They're sensitive people. Oh, Jesus, give us that, Lord. That crying out in the spirit, Lord, and that moving under inspirations. Save the lost among us. Soften the ground of that heart, Lord, and sweeten that atmosphere. May the person that had that injury this week and had to go through that, give them a heart again for the things of God, I pray. I don't need to know about it, but if they just say it to you, Lord, that'll be sufficient. But may you give them a heart to repent in Jesus' name. Do you believe that tonight? Hallelujah. Oh, pour your spirit out of me. Fall just like the rain. Oh,